Hello and welcome to Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. We talk to creative professionals about how they do their thing. And this week, I have two of them, Daniel and Ben Barnes. They're a couple and they're two of the men behind the movie Cake that opens today. Um, Ben produced it and Daniel directed it. That's why I'm putting out this Dennis Anyone extra on a Friday so that... uh, Maybe it'll make you excited to see the movie this weekend. Um, Daniel's previous films include Phoebe in Wonderland, Won't Back Down, and Beastly, and uh, Cake is his new baby. And before we get into that, uh, I want to also thank everyone for liking Dennis Anyone on Facebook. I love seeing those likes. And also, if you want to go to DennisAnyone.net, you can do lots of fun stuff there. You can take my audience poll. If you feel like leaving a donation in the tip jar, it helps me keep the podcast free and pays for things like web hosting and parking when I go to people's places and little notebooks that I write things down on and things like that. I won't spend it frivolously, I promise. Um, it helps. So uh, you can also see pictures that go with the podcast that I'm talking about. For example, today, Daniel tells me about the books he creates that sort of inspire the look and feel of his movies. And so he showed me one and I took some pictures and it's really cool. So you can see that on Dennis Anyone. .net. Just go under the podcast, and then when you see the podcast with Daniel and Ben, the pictures will be there. Will be there. So um, that's about it. Stick around for the very end. I have a So This Happened story involving Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, and a couple of wieners. So without any further ado, here are Daniel and Ben Barnes. All right, I am here in the Los Feliz home office of Daniel Barnes, and Daniel and Ben Barnes are going to be my guests today. Daniel's here now. Ben is dealing with family stuff upstairs. He's going to pop down later. We're on a beautiful uh, afternoon in Los Angeles, the day before your movie Cake opens. <laughs> Opening weekend, what's that like? Do you, do you go to a theater and poke your head in? Do you, you know, what's a, what, how do you spend an opening weekend? I, uh, it's really like the most dull thing ever. I don't go to the theaters because I'm too neurotic and afraid I'm going to walk in and there's going to be nobody in the yeah. movie theater right. or people are going to be walking out. So I can't go to the movie yeah. theaters. Uh, I don't read any reviews. I will not know about my box office. So coincidentally, I will be going to um, Disneyland tomorrow. And then the last movie, we ended up going to a water park. So I don't know. I guess maybe the, the theme park tradi- is yes. the thing that I do now on a right. weekend. That's right. Um, but this one has also been a weird one because, you know, the movie premiered in Toronto four months ago. Yeah. And in some ways, there's been so many amazing kind of like screenings and sort of, you know, uh, celebrations throughout that, like, even I'm sort of like, wait, has this movie not already come out yet? Right. I can't believe it's just finally going to theaters. Now, uh, your star, Jennifer Aniston, nominated for Golden Globe mm-hmm. and a SAG Award. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so bummed she didn't make the Oscar cut, but what has it been like to be part of the Oscar, the, the award season stuff? Because like you said, there's screenings and it's a lot of stuff. Has it been fun or surreal or what's it like? Okay, so I've kind of loved it, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure because people talk about like awards fever and I thought it's just going to be kind of an intensely stressful thing, but... The thing that's been sort of amazing about it is, you know, for me, the, like, the most gratifying part of a movie is, like, screening it with an audience and then, you know, talking to the people afterwards or having them ask questions during a Q&A. 
because I don't read the reviews. So for me, like my, my experience of a movie is, very, is, is really based on kind of a personal thing about how people kind of respond to it. So the great thing about award season is you do all of these screenings. And so you have all of these opportunities to hear from people who have seen the movie. Um, so what that- are some of the more memorable reactions that you've heard? Because the story deals about a woman with chronic pain who's gone through something really, really rough. And it's about her trying to get through it and trying to move on. And, and so I'm sure you've met people that have suffered with serious, uh, similar uh, circumstances. There is. In fact, there was one woman that I met in Toronto who, uh, you know, in the, in the film, <clears throat> Jen's um, character uh, is re- reclining in a car through the, you know, the whole thing. She doesn't, she, she's sort of, she, she's lying back for reasons that are, um, physical, but also primarily psychological, you know, yeah. because she, she doesn't sort of, you know, she, she's not really ready to engage in the world that way. When, and also, but she feels like it's more comfortable. I remember having a nerve pain and there were positions that felt better, better than others. Than other and it was yeah, a few yeah, months yeah. of like, I'm going to sit in a weird way. Like yeah. I get it. There was one woman that I met who had been in a very serious accident who then came up to me afterwards and told me about her whole saga of, like, reclining in the car. And she had this, like, really personal identification with Jen's character in a way. And and she, like, described a narrative of her life that was so similar to the narrative in the movie. It was incredible. That's so moving. It was really very, very moving. Now, you don't read review, you reviews for yes. any of your movies? Ever. Ever. Yes. Yeah. What was, what made Why? you make that decision and what are, what's good about it and is there a downside to it? Uh, yes. Okay. So, uh, basically my, the first film that I, um, directed and wrote was called Phoebe in Wonderland. Yes. And it went to Sundance in 2007. And you were a bit of a Sundance darling. It got nice attention at Sundance. Thank you. I, I was <laughs> I reading about it and I was way. like, oh, you must have been in that Sundance darling moment. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, the thing yes. is when you're in that moment, it's such a high and low. And yes. That particular year was crazy because of the Writers Guild strike. So there was all of this like... There's going to be massive bidding wars for every movie at Sundance. That's how I went into it. And our film, you know, ended up getting distribution. But there wasn't, like, a massive overnight yeah. bidding war. So you, uh, you weren't, like, you know, trying to keep Harvey Weinstein from... No, right. I felt from, like, like a gigantic... Kind of, I was like, wait, where was the big bidding war? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, let me check my phone. I'm not, I'm not sure if uh, <laughs> no. I'm getting reception or... Okay. Um, but, so, so prior to that, I had been... Uh, you know, I'd done some interviews and stuff, and, I'd be, yeah. and then I would read the interviews, and I found that I kept getting what, like, if not misquoted, like, they didn't choose the piece that I thought was, like, really cogent and articulate. Yeah. So, so I started getting, like, kind of a little antsy about that. And then uh, two days before the film premiered, I was walking up Main Street there, and there was another filmmaker there who had just come out of the premiere of her movie, and there were tears streaming down her face. I mean, she literally just walked out of the screening because people had already begun to blog about it, and people blogging during the screenings. So she had already read a very negative review of her thing. And I just had this moment where I thought, you know what? This is an amazing moment. I've waited so long to get to this point. But first of all, it's at Sundance. Like, I just really want to enjoy that fact. And I don't want to get too on the bit. So I just made a resolution that, like, for the first night, I wasn't going to read any reviews. Then I was like, 
It was like next day. And this is working for me. I was like, well, you know what? I don't, why don't I get to the end of Sundance and not read any reviews? Because I just want to enjoy this kind of Sundance experience. And then it, it sort of snowballed from, from there. And I, I didn't think I was capable of it. You know, like, I didn't think I was capable of not, like, kind of logging in one yeah. day and reading everything. I'm just going to go on Rotten Tomatoes and see, like, a number. Exactly. I don't read anything, but I want to get, yeah. But you know what? It was strangely possible. It kind of worked. And so, and, and I... I felt like the other part of it is, you know, I there's nothing I can do about the movie at this point. It's done. It's done. So criticism for me, incredibly valuable. And, like, I will solicit it to the ends of the earth when I'm making a movie right. up until, you know, that, that kind of final mix. But after that point, there's nothing more that I can do with that movie. So, uh, and... As I say, you know, for me, like, when people see movies, it's always about a context in which they're seeing it. So it's valuable for me to sit down with somebody and hear what they have to say about my movie and kind of talk about it. But to, to, to read it, I, I didn't know how I could change the movie. I mean, I could, couldn't change the movie. Yeah. So uh, I so that sort of, like, kind of, you know, became the, the, the reason. And, and the other thing about reviews is, you know, the, 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 the bad ones hurt. Right. I know this from my days of directing theater. Right. And the good ones are never good enough. So this is like, I I probably won't win. So uh, anyway, so that became the, 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 the reason I don't do, do your friends know not to talk about that? They do. So it's hard, you know, because the thing is we live in this age, right? And people always want to share with you. Like they, they, and, and and they want to share with you the good ones and the bad ones. They'll be like, did you read that review? And they'll say, Oh my God, I can't believe that guy said, I totally disagreed with that. And so you kind of get bits and pieces, but, uh, you know, I just, I sort of just do my best, um, to, uh, you know, not just to kind of like filter it out and focus on, for me, like, the really meaningful reactions yeah. that I get from friends or family or people that have seen the movie that I've con- But to sort of keep that distance from the reaction, but also be in the Oscar Derby must be a weird <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, well, that's true. And like, then you'll open up a newspaper ad and yeah. they will have quotes from various yeah. reviews. So you're not completely, like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, kept out of it. I just, you know, to to the kind of the, the, the best of my ability and, and, and really, you know, like, I just... I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to focus on the kind of, the, on, on the work and the effect that it work, the work has and try not to get too caught up in it. And by the way, you know, like, I've had movies that have tanked. I have had movies that have been received better. And so I just try to kind of level the playing field for myself. And- I think it's really smart. I think it's, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I, I think that's a great thing. It's a great strategy. It's uh, it's good, you know. You do have to build up like a thing, and yeah. you know, and I find myself like on opening weekend. Yeah. I have to have Ben like filter my emails first, to, right. like, just to make sure for that weekend. I have to constantly interrupt people when if I yeah. feel like they're heading down. I just want to let you know I don't actually read any of Right now, Ben is your husband and producer of your movies. Does he read them? Is it is a producer's role different in that way? So he did for Phoebe, right? And and then you know for the the other two movies that he did that he did not produce, he read some of the reviews. And I think, um, actually, for this one, he has made the decision not to read them as well. I personally don't care either way, because I'm fine for, you know, him to do it. I mean, maybe I would become kind of neurotic and nudgy and kind of push him, but I think he feels, you know, in, in this case, like... I don't know. You should ask him why he did. We won't. Yeah, do yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. Um, now, I saw you 
uh, at a Q&A with, with Jennifer Aniston when the movie was first starting to get played for mm-hmm. guilds and things like that. And um, you talked Which about... I was, it was at, um, it was on Vine at oh, that yeah, yeah, place, yeah, yeah. and, uh, she said that, um, she met with you and that you reminded her of Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, check please, I'm not, that's, by the way, I was. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, okay, we like, got, I got what I came here for. The part is yours. It's all down to <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that true? So she said. She did. She actually, uh, she, she had said, and what she didn't know is that I just, I have a ginormous crush on Mark Ruffalo. I think he's like one of the greatest actors ever. I was once like in a waiting room, you know, and, and he was there and I literally was like gaping at him yeah. like some kind of idiotic, um, dorky fan. But right. uh, anyway, so when she said that, I was like, I, you know, I was so buoyed then she said... Was that early on in the conversation? Like, she sits down, you're chatting, you look um, like Mark Ruffalo? I think that actually kind of came towards the end. Okay. You know, it was an interesting meeting. I do... Um, these really elaborate mood books when I go, when I make a movie. Like, I have the thing, I have some of the... Oh, I would love there. to see what they look like. Do you want me to show you one Yeah, well, show, you can show me afterwards. Okay, so they're basically, like, these things, and I, I, I collect all of these photographs and images and paintings, and I put them together, and I publish them, actually, in a book, and they're a way to, like, talk about tone and kind of arc of camera movement and character and they're not literal they're sort of evocative of different aspects of it so that was the kind of the gist of the meeting at first and then we completely hit it off and 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 sort of weirdly like she had an affinity for some of the photographers that i had in there then it kind of turned a little more um like kind of personal then she came out with like the mark ruffalo thing then she told then she was like trying to figure out how ben looked like she was like i think he looks like christian bale was it the three of you meeting it was uh the three of us and her producing partner christian Hahn, right. um was also there we also um you know ben and i when we adopted children changed our name i know i want to talk about that okay so, when he comes down here I, it's like, okay okay you so, guys were the original uh jennifer <laughs> rangelina because you merged your name renamed them yes yeah uh so but but so we, the subject of, the, of us changing our names had come up so then i you know after we met and i just you know i loved her so much i i, I wrote her this very you know kind of um uh passionate follow-up letter about how much i love sitting down with her and signing it um daniel barnes ruffalo and ben barnes bale right uh, because you know if we're already going to change our names like yeah, why not go let's go all the way <laughs> let's go all the way let's go all the way so uh, i talked about this with about patrick tobin the writer when mm-hmm. he did the podcast so um but i do want to get your take on it you discovered the script when you were judging a screenwriting contest yeah. and is that unusual that you'll because you've obviously you probably read a number of scripts that something will speak to you so much that you're like I want to get involved with this. It was kind of amazing. I mean, I, I will... I'm just going to back up for a second. I think it's an interesting story. When my last movie came out, it was really a controversial yes. film. And it like excited this really kind of rabid political reaction. And we were caught in this crossfire. I, the film was Won't Back Down. Won't Back Down. Maggie yeah. Gyllenhaal and Viola Davis about teaching. Exactly. And... Yeah. and and it got caught up in this controversy when it came out. Enormous controversy. I mean, it, it was like, I mean, the timing, it couldn't have been a more perfect storm because it was it was two weeks after the Chicago public teacher strike. It was yeah. right in the middle of, you know, uh, the presidential race. So it was like already, you know, tensions were running so high. 
And, you know, this particular issue is something that excites, like, really violent reactions. And it's a surprising one because, you know, traditional allegiances don't always fall where you think they would. I had people tweeting me being like, die, you right-wing motherfucker. And I was like, wait, I'm gay, Jewish, liberal, and Democrat. Like, how am I in this position? And it was sort of a... It, it was kind of this this thing where I was really... Couldn't quite figure out how the world was working in this way. Like, in, in a much more cosmic way. I understood sort of what had happened and right. why politically it had become such a firestorm. But I felt more cosmically like here was something that I really wanted to do with, like, good intentions, thinking that, like, there could have a kind of a positive effect. Uh, And instead, the opposite happened. So I was, like, trying to make sense of the world. I couldn't quite understand. I was like, you know, maybe my traditional strategies for making sense of the world don't work. And I should think about how to... I should... I should open myself up to things that me, I've been resisting to. So Did you oh, write Won't Back Down? I wrote it. Okay. I, I wrote it uh, with another uh, right. writer. It, but it's it was an original. It wasn't it was based on an article or something like that. It was an original. It was inspired by actual events, which but, it right. was actually part of the issue at right. hand because it sort of uh, didn't cleave closely to the events enough. For some people, it, it cleaved too far away from others. So, yeah. But... Um, so I decided I was going to just, like, do all of these things. And part of them were personal, and I had, you know, like, meditation and acupuncture. I said, run the marathon. And some of them were professional. Like, I took this kind of um, interesting uh, uh, week-long teaching thing in, in Singapore. And during this period, I got approached to judge this screenwriting competition. And my first reaction was, no, I don't want to do that. I read enough scripts. It is. That's yeah. my job. Like, the last thing that I want to do is, like, have to read, you know, 12 more scripts and, and, and so on. And then I thought, wait a second. If I'm having a year of saying yes, like, yeah. I better say yes. So I wow, said Oh, yes. I love this story. Well, so I said yes, and, 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 and partly I said yes because um, 12 years earlier, I had won this same competition for Phoebe in Wonderland, so it had a bit of a, like, a nostalgic right. place yes, in my heart, but course. I was like, I'm going to say yes, and so I got these screenplays, and the winning screenplay was Cake. So it was this kind of amazing thing where, like, this really upsetting, traumatic thing kind of led to this other door opening that I don't think would have happened had this traumatic, upsetting thing not Not happened. Yeah. And in a way, it it sort of mirrors Claire's journey in the movie, which is how do you recover from something? You know, it's not the same kind of trauma, but how do you recover from something really traumatic. So by the way, you're like 10 times more astute than I am because I was literally not until I was watching like our final cut that I was like, oh, wait a second. This movie is about loss and I experienced loss, albeit in a very, very different still, way. But you know, it every still movie rocks is your, your world. Thing. Yeah. Yes. And the very, you know, I particularly for everything is like your, you know, your little baby. So I, I realized that like I also had been drawn creatively to this thing because it was an exploration of loss. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so, so that was how I, 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 I found the screenplay and, and I actually had read it in the middle of the night. I had insomnia and I was like, this is amazing. Like I have to, I have to make this movie. This voice is just so original and unique. And, and I am a writer. So I had just so much appreciation for what Patrick 
had accomplished in this. Yeah. And so uh, immediately gave it to Ben. Ben read it, and then we like swept in and optioned it. And 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 well, you've talked to Patrick, so yeah. you know like his like overnight Hollywood success, which I love hearing as a writer to know that somebody got an opportunity because of what was on the page, not because they knew somebody or whatever. They just their the power of the writing. And not Open only, the door. I think as a writer, but as a very mature writer. I mean, yes. that's the thing that's so cool about Patrick is he's 49 years old. So for him to happen at this particular point in his life and then like the ensuing success of being courted by all these agents and managers and having his film made and all these great actors, it was like... One of the great joys about it for Ben and me was watching it unfold through Patrick's eyes. Like, literally, I mean, if Patrick had been 19, he, it was like the whole thing would just be so annoying and irritating. Right. The fact that he's, like, 48 was 49. Well, and also, he entered every contest that there is. I mean, it was just like, I, I, I tell all my writer friends to listen to that story because it's yeah. very inspiring. It's very, very inspiring. Yeah. Now, when the Won't Back, Won't Back Down thing blew up, mm-hmm. did you, was it after the movie had come out or when did, did it? sort of happened as it was about to come out and were you totally blindsided by that moment? Yes and no. I mean, you know, we knew from the beginning working on it that it was controversial subject matter. Yeah. What I had hoped with the movie was that, you know, because it's such a polarizing debate, what I wanted to try to do was create something that was like, you know, could could become a subject of conversation that was sort of bridge divides like that's really where i wanted to get the conversation get people talking about it go with it you know because really people you know so often with this debate are retreating to certain talking points and kind of on one side or the other and so you know that was the hope with the movie we knew it was controversial uh you know we had screened it actually for the heads of the you know teachers unions early on it seemed like their reaction was relatively, um, you know, like they were critical of some parts of it, but right. they appreciated the other movie. So I think our whole feeling and, and the pre-screening of that movie was like people were going crazy. It was like they were jumping to their feet. And, and so I think I naively felt like, oh, maybe this will be a way to kind of like bridge divides and then it, it was you know on uh opening day it was like uh i don't read the reviews but people reported the gist of them and well and then also it's it's uh, stimulated like feature stories and not just reviews but people talking about the issues the and, politics yeah the thing was that it became a it, it became uh a, a political football you know, loved by some, yeah. despised by others, and uh, it was it was really a traumatic. It, it was really a traumatic experience, um, and one that you know, but but one that prompted this interesting kind of life change for right. me. So I think it's interesting, like when people have experiences like that, and, and they look back and they're like, "Oh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me." I think that's actually like a bit bullshitty. You know, like I don't think that's actually true. But I do think those experiences teach you something that you cannot learn any other way. I, I agree. And that information is so valuable and so helpful. As you and how to live life. your life. That's yeah. how I feel about... I was one of the writers that went on strike from Fashion Police. Oh. And that was a whole thing. Yes. You know, and it, and, and it was like the, the things you have to... Th- the, the big issues you have to think about. Courage, uh, 
faith, uh, fear. Like you think about the big things and resilience, and 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 you come out of it a little bit different. And you're mm-hmm. like, gosh, I wish I didn't have to live that. But they, you really do get stuff out of it yeah, that no. you wouldn't have gotten any other any, way. Any other way. Um, we've talked about it quite a bit, but just just because for people that haven't seen the movie, but it was about a mother who who challenged the the established sort of. Oh, well, uh, teach, yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah, a yeah. sentence or two about yeah, what it what it's about. So it was about uh, a mother who played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, whose child is in failing public school, and she comes together with this teacher who's played by Viola Davis, who teaches in that same school, and the two of them come together to uh, change their public school and make it into something that's great. Has it been fun to watch Viola sort of blow up on television? Yeah, I mean, by the way, she's like a remarkable, lovely, soulful person who has actually become like a really dear friend yeah. uh, of of uh, mine. And, you know, and we sort of weathered it together. You know, her sister is also a public school teacher. So I think a lot of this stuff was also very personal for her in, 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 in a way. But I just think she's so gorgeous inside and out. And it's, you know, it's like a delight to see all the yeah. things happen to her. Now, what was it like to work with Maggie? Because mm-hmm. I loved her in The Honorable Woman. But I've interviewed before, and mm-hmm. she's complicated and yeah. interesting and challenging. She is. You know, she's so um, she's so bright and so uh, intelligent. What was interesting about her, though, is that she, she, was, she really absorbed this character of somebody who's kind of fighting the system. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting because... You know, sometimes you work with actors and they can do one thing on screen and then they completely turn it off. And Maggie, you know, I think was had that sort of, you know, uh, quality of that character with her at all times. So it just made for like a really interesting um, dynamic on set. But the thing that I love about Maggie is she doesn't settle for anything. And she is, she will work like as hard, you know, as like hard as anybody. She's just, she's great. Awesome. Now, I was looking at, uh, on IMDb. There's a photo of you with Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. I love that. You, where were you? And did you... Was she involved in Phoebe in Wonderland? She was like this amazing mentor. Okay, so it, it, we met originally because our kids were in school together. That's how like, we met. And then right. we became friends. And, and, and this was shortly before I had done Phoebe in Wonderland. And so when I was about to go off and direct Phoebe in Wonderland, I was like, wow, there's this amazing resource here because she knows this not only from the experience of having uh you know performed in movies as a young child but also having directed a movie with you know a young child in it little man tate so i just was like picking her brain at every turn you know for it and and she you know she was like amazing she's just so giving and kind of like and she has such love for like the craft so she got completely into it, and she came up to Sundance to the, you know, premiere, and I don't know, that's probably where our picture got taken. That's amazing, yeah. though, to have somebody like that that can that helps you sort of shepherd it, and it were incredible. you kind of pinching yourself a little bit with that? or Pinching what, myself? Pinching myself, like pinching. a little bit, like, totally. wow. Well, I remember, like, literally when the first time when I saw her on the like, school campus, I was like, ugh, you yeah. know, because, like, how can you not? It's right. Jodie Foster, and then, and then to, like, have that kind of develop organically into a, a friendship, and, and then for that period of the time, like, a, a sort of, you know, unofficial mentorship yeah. was... Uh, amazing. I, I feel like as a director, one thing that I've always longed for, you know, is that kind of like official mentor person. And so when these people have come along and like 
you know, are giving of their wealth of information. I just find it kind of really moving. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Because you don't, it's not easy to find. And you can't go in, you can't go, mentor me somebody. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's a very solitary industry. Like people go off and do their, you know, kind of, you sort of luck into these kinds of things. And and so, yeah. Yeah. I've had a few experiences like that and I don't take them for, like, I, I suck every drop of whatever I can get out of those things. I believe that way, by the way, as just as a filmmaker. Like, that is sort of my attitude when I go out and I begin to cast and crew a film. What I really try to do is look for the people who are most talented at what they do and then make sure that they are allowed to do that thing. Yeah. Because sometimes I feel like, uh, you know... You can, you know, you can slip into a kind of a micromanagerial mode, you know, as an obsessive director yes. thing. And, and sometimes it's the worst thing that you can do to somebody, giving them the opportunity to sort of like express themselves and, and feel a sense of ownership in the material. That's what I try to do. I love the way Cake looked, by the way. Oh, Speaking yeah. of the Rachel different Morrison. I love the way it looked. I love that it looked, was beautiful to look at, but it didn't feel phony. Mm-hmm. You know those movies that feel... Like, they're not really in the world. Yes. Yeah. Um, we but it was beautifully composed, and I just love the way it looked. Uh, we wanted to go for that kind of, you know, sort of, kind of not self-conscious, gritty naturalism. Um, and so one of the things I actually do early on in my, uh, 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 early on in prep is I, um, host like a creative retreat with my, um, producers, my DP, production designer, costume designer, and we all hole up. Where did you go? What, here? Oh, at the house. Okay. Usually, if you're on location, it's kind of funny. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. This is when we, there's no budget for Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. we were here, but we just sequester ourselves for two days and kind of dream the movie and I really encourage everybody to be everything everybody's director everybody's writer everybody's DP we all just sort of think about it as kind of co-creators and first day it's like this sort of you know we talk about what attracted us to it emotionally what it's about thematically we do this exchange of pictures and photographs we look at clips from movies then we go out that night and eat and drink and that's like a critical component because I do feel like you have to like have an eating and drinking element to really create a sense of community. And then the next day we come together and we start to go through the film kind of sequentially and really talk about like, what is the arc of camera in this? What is the arc of color in this? You know, what is the arc of how the clothes fit so that everybody is sort of on the same page. And I find it to be so magical and so inspiring. Do you do this on every movie? Every movie. Yeah. Yeah. What made you think of that? exercise or that idea i think because my background is in theater so i don't i don't know that i actually did it on any kind of theater thing but but in that sort of theater world you have you those come into that like, space yeah and exactly figure you come it out together and yeah stuff. and so that's how it originated i love that now um christmas cena is in your movie and i think you look more like christmas oh Cena than Mark Rockwell. And i <laughs> such a crush on christmas cena when he dances uh-huh. I don't know why you don't have a dancing scene with him in the movie. Have <laughs> we, you seen him dancing? Well, we cut it out. You did. And I have not seen him dancing. You gotta Google Christmas Cena dancing on the Mindy Project. Okay. You're gonna. It's gonna be. You're, it's a lot. Yeah. I just have to warn you. It's really. <laughs> it's sexy. gonna be overwhelming. It's a lot. Okay. Because he's really good at it and he's really into it, and he's got the moves. Mm-hmm. Anyway, say he, something about Christmas Cena. Yeah. No. I mean, here's what I love. <laughs> I I actually um uh I, I, I I have this, like, enormous um, 
wealth of like strong good feelings for Chris Messina and here's why I didn't know him before this movie I just right. had been a fan of his work right. so there were many other people in the movie that I, I cast or there were friends of mine you'd worked with Felicity before Felicity and yeah. Bill are friends yeah. and stuff but, like I got them to you know I called them but Chris is somebody that I admired but didn't know personally and I knew you know and it's a very contained role that he does so I just wrote him this really passionate letter about why I think he's an amazing actor and why I think he'd be so perfect for this. And he said, yes. And I had this big thing about people in Hollywood who say yes, because I sometimes I feel like we live in this industry of no. Yeah. And I feel like the fact that he didn't know me from Adam, but just sort of like saw this passion, read the script, loved it, and just said yes. And then, he's just amazing. He directed his own movie, so he was like so interested in all the aspects of it as like a filmmaker. And we like hit it off and have become actually quite... That's awesome. As a result. Yeah, I did a podcast with another director, a friend of mine named Jim Fall, who made Trick. And, oh, sure. But, but we ended up calling the podcast, This is, This Town is Full of Nice Nose. Because it's the, it's the no, but it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess it's better than a mean no. But it's that thing of like, you have the great meeting and you you walk out and they're like, oh, wait, that was a no. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. That was such a love fest, but wait, what did they, oh, that's a no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like, you know, it, it took, uh, before I started directing, I was writing for, for 10 years, um, actually, and I, and, and that was 10 years of, of, um, polite and sometimes not so polite. Knows. Knows, and it was, you know, it was an amazing 10 years because I was like, I was being paid to be creative, and that... You were getting paid to write. Yes. Right. So for that, like, I, I was like, that's, for, for 10 years, that was enough. But then I hit this point, like, around, actually, like, eight and a half years where I thought, I need to see some fruits to my labors now. Yeah. Something's, it, something I've written's got to be made, or i got to direct something. And I thought, if I'm going to hit the 10-year anniversary, and if I don't, if, if, if I get to the 10-year anniversary of professional writing and, and nothing started, then I'm going to take the family and we're going to go to Africa. Right. For six months, we're going to go work with elephants, because I'm obsessed with elephants. And then we're going to Amsterdam for six months, because I love Amsterdam. Right. And I had this whole plan in place, and then Ben screwed it all up by getting the financing together for Phoebe. Wow. So there you go. You're going to go to Africa, and then, and then Amsterdam. Yeah. With your, you I your feel kids. like that was my own cosmic kind of like no turning into a yes. Like right. I was like no more of this that then turned into a yes. Right, right. Well, when he comes down here, I want to find out how you met and all of that stuff. Um, there was an amazing sh- uh, scene in the movie Cake where you guys are on the L.A. freeway. And it's, you know, you're right in the middle of it. All the loop-de-loops. What was it like? And, and, and you know, there's a dangerous element, a precarious element to the scene. It was so surreal and wonderful. And I, by the way, I'm still not quite sure, like, how we swung it, either yeah. budget-wise or permission-wise. But I just, one of those things where I didn't want to ask too many questions. So, <laughs> it's my... It's your son. I love it. Dashel. Hi, Dashel. Anyway, so we um, had, you know, one of the things that just for me thematically about the movie was because it's about all these different characters navigating loss. Like, I really wanted to exploit that L.A. thing of navigation and how we're constantly navigating through the streets of L.A. and the freeways, and the freeways have this kind of serpentine nature to them. So I really wanted that to be kind of like a metaphor in the movie. And then our amazing locations guy got permission for us to shut down the uh, carpool lane leading from the 110 to the 105 on a Sunday for the whole day. And it was so amazing and surreal because we all drive on these freeways all the time. Right. 
but we're never out there walking on them. No, of course and not. And it was like, it was like everybody, the whole cast and crew got filled with this kind of like giddiness and this sort of like excitement of being in this area that felt like it, it was kind of forbidden. The thing that was strange is there was not a whole like list of things that you can't do. So we were like self-policing ourselves because... I got worried, you know, that we were shooting the movie and, you know, you have somebody and they're standing on a ledge and, like, somebody's going to be actually driving down on the freeway below and look up and think that somebody right. is, you know, and jumping and then they would get yeah. in an accident and stuff. So we sort of, like, policed ourselves to make sure that, you know, that none of the other kind of real traffic going through would see us and get, you know, distracted and, and think it was happening. But it was so... It was so beautiful, and you had the views of downtown LA, and it was just, I don't know, you felt, I just felt so filled with this, yeah. like, almost corny love for yeah. LA. Now, in, the, in addition to Cake and Phoebe in Wonderland, we went back down, you also made Beastly. Yes. Is there, do you think there are themes that you gravitate to over and over again, or are they all sort of different? I think that all of my films are about outsiders. Right. Uh, and I think it's about how an outsider status gives you a certain kind of strength, you know, to go on. And I think, at least that's what I've identified. Maybe that's too pat. But I think, like, in some ways, that was, that's been my experience as a person and as a gay man growing up that way. Like, I felt like I always identify as an outsider. So I think that's why I've gotten drawn to all of these things in certain ways. Um, You know, they all actually feature uh, performances by um, strong, complicated female characters and women. And that's been kind of interesting, um, for, for me to see. And there's actually a lot of sort of bizarre overlap between Cake and Phoebe in Wonderland in that they both have central characters who kind of hallucinate imaginary people for Jen as the Anna Kendrick character. And for Phoebe, it's, uh, Elle Fanning's role. It was sort of all these other people. There's a kind of a whole jump through line in Phoebe in Wonderland and in um, Cake. But bear in mind, I, again, like, I didn't quite realize those things at the moment of signing on to do them. It was sort of only in the process of working on them that I realized there were these affinities. Well, what's interesting about Cake is that Claire, Jennifer Aniston's character, isn't an outsider, probably wasn't an outsider until this thing happened. Exactly. She was was, very, she had it going on. She had everything. You know, she had a very great life. And then this thing happened and boom, suddenly... She's totally alienated and going through right. horrible things, and now she very much exists, like kind of on the outside yeah. or on the uh, on the periphery. Talk about working with Jennifer Aniston and directing her, because I've always loved her as a performer. Because even on Friends, I remember thinking she found four things in that line of dialogue. Right, yeah, she found four moments. Like it's the middle stuff that I love with her. The ambiguity. Mm. It's not like. The super wacky or the super dramatic. It's all that stuff in the middle that I think she's I think, by the way, at. if she heard those words, like, she would just die and go to heaven. And, and, I, and That's I, what I love about her. It's the middle stuff. It's the middle stuff. And also, I think so often people are, you know, comedic actors or, or actors who are known for, for comedy. Like, they're underrated because comedy is so hard to do and so hard to do well. So... I've always been a a big um, fan of hers, and I loved that movie, The Good Girl. Like, I just loved that movie and what she did in it. And, you know, and and sort of ever having since then, she just was like this, for me, this really intriguing talent who had done this thing. And then she did many other, you know, 
um, great performances, friends with money, and, and, and so on, but had never done something that was like completely transformational. And so when we were casting the movie and thinking about it, you know, like the more that I thought about her, the more right it felt. Um, I also feel like she has such an innate warmth to her and, and she's such a kind of forgivable person. And, and she sort of has weathered this public drama that everybody's kind of aware of. And, 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 and it's now, I think, you know, it's like a part of her kind of persona. So when you take that sort of warmth and that forgivableness factor, and then you marry it with a character that is kind of acerbic and hard and difficult, it's just such an interesting kind of marriage. Uh, so, um, and I felt like I really wanted somebody who could bring out all of the comedy of this character and, 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 and do it. So, and I felt, I always feel like when you can take somebody who's incredibly gifted, incredibly talented at what they do, and give them an opportunity to do something that's so different and that they're hungering to do, they will just, like, give of themselves so completely. And that's an amazing, you know, like, that's a, such a gift. Yeah. What was sure. your favorite memory of working with her on the movie? Was uh, there a day that was, that jumps out? You know, um, I, I have to say, like, the, the first day was pretty incredible just because it was, like, you know, you have all of this build up and, and you don't really know. And, and you're always like, you know, is it going to work out? You know, because now I feel like people look at the movie and she's so good in it. Uh, and I'm so proud of her. But, you know, none of us, including her, like knew that that was going to happen. You know what I mean? It was a right. big gamble. Big she never did anything that's like quite like done like that. So I think just the very first moment we turned on the cameras and you see this and she, you know, and she's, her hair looks kind of greasy and the angle's not flattering and the, you know, the light's bad and, and she just inhabits this character. It was so moving. What were the first scenes you shot? What do you remember? Oh, so we were in the cemetery shooting the scene where she's with Sam Worthington right. and he's hanging up the wind chimes and stuff. Right. And, she, and she has this moment where she... You know, he hands her the wind chimes, and she looks at them, and, you know, she has this... I can't really give it all away, because it kind of gives away certain things in the movie, but the way that she looks at this wind chimes and the way they're constructed says so much about this woman. Uh, It's such a layered, complex, very tiny moment that I was like, oh, man, we're, we're in for a good run. So I love that. You know, she was also just... she's. You know, she's fun. She would make fun of my lisp. Yeah. I love that. That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have these little Listerine breath sprays that I get really addicted to because I don't smoke, but I have right. like an oral fixation while I'm shooting. So I had like concentrating. She got really worried I was going to get cancer. So right. she, one day she showed up with licorice root for me and right. like, which by the way, it tastes like bark. Um, so no, no, no thumbs down on the licorice root. <laughs> down on the licorice root for me. Now, getting to know her and being around her socially at these events and stuff, you probably have a, a, a little window into what it's like to be that famous. Yeah. It's a trip isn't it i can't imagine you know and it's it's funny because i i know famous people and 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 i've known famous people and and i always have this similar kind of thing where i at a certain point i i really come to admire them for their ability to stay grounded in what is such a a bizarrely surreal existence and she does operate like in a very unique level of stardom where people there's like this almost like manic frenzy that can open up you know and we you know we had a lot of paparazzi 
you know, on our sets and they were constantly like, you know, during scenes whistling and shouting and, you know, and, and demanding her attention. And when we showed up in Toronto for the premiere, you know, we walked, she walked out on stage, the first 12 rows of the audience like leapt to their feet and they're jamming their, their iPhones into her face. And, you know, you do when you're like on that side of it, watching it from her, it, it is kind of, it's surreal. So in in a way, you, and and I get weirdly protective of yeah. her. Back like, off, people. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like her, her kind of Heather, yeah. and and because she is such a a, a heart, such a genuine yeah. person. Now, there's been a lot written about and talked about with her hair, but it's fucking amazing. That's the thing. It's not just like one haircut. She's got fucking great hair. <laughs> Do you agree? She has. Oh, you mean not in, like in the movie? But not in, in the general. movie, just in general. She like I look, at, I was looking at pictures of you guys together on the red carpet, and I just want <laughs> I I to touch it. She it, she has yeah. great hair. Yes. Yeah. I, do you, I, did I you ever pet it? No. I. You know what? It's not the petting. It was the smell. Like that was really. The thing. What does like, it smell like? She just has this like. It's just I don't know if it, like what the shampoo or the conditioner is, but it's so like kind of cleansing and yeah. fresh. Like you just kind of want to stay close and yeah. within that like cone of the beautiful scent. Yeah, and I've I've watched her being interviewed about the movie and talking about how nice it feels to do something different and have people to see her in a different way. Has that been fun to observe? Have has she talked to you about like wow, I feel like a shift is happening, or I, totally. I like that I'm being able to dig deeper. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I think that all of us uh, had anxiety when we began about, you know, what it's, it's really hard to imagine what it's like for an actor to be on, you know, a 40 foot screen bearing every pore. So when people talk about, you know, actors and, and their vanity, like my, my feeling about it is just a little bit different because I feel like, my God, I can barely look at any photograph of myself, let alone like a moving thing for two hours with like every poor exposed. And so I was completely like unnecessarily worried that at some point there was going to be another shoe that was going to drop. You know, when we sat down, she was like, yes, of course I get it. This character is, you know, is, 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 is raw. She doesn't wear any makeup. She doesn't take care of her appearance. And I kept waiting for the moment. Where she's going to be like, okay, but just a smidge yeah, of lipstick. Just a little lip one. Like I just, just like a tiny what is, bit of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And she never wavered from that. And so, and, and, and I was like, okay, every point was like a milestone, you know, when we get, we did like the makeup test and she saw the makeup test and she was like, well, good, you know, she starts seeing dailies. You keep waiting for the calls from the agent. for the call to be like, yeah. what the? And, and then the dailies, like you should, you know, she's a, an executive producer and if I, she watched the dailies, like I was kept waiting for the like, you can't shoot up yeah. my nose like yeah. that. Never got right. Then I was like, okay, well, then the test is going to come when she sees the film all the way through yeah. for the first time because that is so... And she just never wavered. Like, never had a moment of, oh, my God, I, I can't look like that. Yeah. She just fully gave of yeah. herself. And so it was, like, inspiring. Well, also, she had done Where the Millers, where she does the strip. And it, right. the, the, come on. Like, that's already immortalized on screen right, forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she looked great in that movie. Incre- yeah. That's the thing. Like, she's already incredible. She's got, like... I guess so. So you're saying so it wouldn't be that big of a deal. She's already she's got... Already so she's already cool. looked yeah, maybe. fucking amazing yeah. in a recent movie. Yeah. Um, no, but also, what's interesting about it is, before I saw the movie, I read that she doesn't wear makeup and all that stuff. I just thought she looked beautiful in it. Like, I never thought... Like, it, 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 you know, the media makes stuff up about that, and it's this trend, and women without makeup. And every time I go to those one of those movies... It's not what I'm thinking about. 
I'm so glad. I, I got worried about how much was being made of the no makeup thing. It's not because, a thing. It's because, a media thing, but it's not a thing. And I felt like that's not the triumph of this performance. You yeah. know, the fact that she doesn't wear makeup, like, big deal. The, the triumph is that she lets herself go so emotionally raw with, yeah. the, with the thing. So I got a little worried about, you know, but I had the same reaction. You know, I... I was like, like, oh, this is a non-story. Like, it, I, not only a non-story, but I was—I felt like she has never looked more beautiful. Despite, you know, not wearing any makeup, and even with these sort of prosthetic scars, like, I actually just fell in love with the way she looked. And as you know, there's a, a sequence in the movie where she, her character, actually puts on a bit of makeup. And when those dailies came in, like, I freaked out. I didn't out. like her as much. Because I was like, well, you know, like, ah, what's that look? And like, yeah. you know, where she looks conventionally more pretty, but... Um, it's not who she is. Prettier. It was like, it was so weird because I was falling in love with this really natural, yeah. amazing. Yay. Okay, here comes Ben. All right, good. I'm so sorry. Hi, That's ben. okay. Hi. Ben is popping down. You've been um, dealing with family stuff upstairs, so just come a little closer. This is our mic here. It's kind of small, and, and uh, so um, you, you produce and Daniel directs. And how did you make all four movies so far together, the features? We did not. I did Phoebe in Wonderland. Yeah. And then he did. Uh, Beastly and won't back down without me. So, how long have you been together? Uh, Nineteen years. Nice. Too yeah. long. Too, yes. Too long. One, more year. <laughs> One more year. We're done. Now, when we'll did you get done. married? With the prop eight stuff and all that stuff, well, like, like where really, we? When didn't we get married? I mean, yeah. How many? So ma- many different like events and things, <laughs> and you know, like the domestic partnership in Vermont and California, yeah. the commitment ceremony in Southampton. We did do... Do you always do it on the same day? No, no. no. So, it's like so you have a million anniversaries. anniversaries. Yeah, we just chose one. Okay. But then we did the... Uh, we did get married legally in California on uh, in that three-month window when after Prop 8... Uh, before Prop 8, you know, got... Yeah. Um, yeah, you were in the window. We were yeah. in that window, and and that actually was the funniest wedding because we went to like the Beverly Hills Courthouse one afternoon. We picked up our kids from school. Right. They were really young. They were in elementary school. They didn't really know, you know, like our son Dasha was like climbing on the, you know, uh, on, on the podium through the ceremony, and then like at the end, you know, our daughter Zelda was like, "Can I go back to my t-ball game?" Yeah. So that was like the momentous wedding ceremony yeah. for, for them. That's awesome. Now, how did you meet? Uh, Daniel was at USC grad school and right. I was acting at the time. Right and on. He cast me in his senior thesis film. Wow. It's much more Did you? Founding so I, I have directed some shorts and, and some things and you become a little infatuated with your actors. Mm-hmm. I've done that before where mm-hmm. I'm like, especially in editing, you're like, I, it's, I have stories that are not, that are a little embarrassing, but was there a vibe going on while you were working together or did it happen after the fact? Uh, I think there was a vibe, but it was sort of six months later that we, right. you know, we were sort of friends for a while right. and stuff, but you know, um, you no, know, there was no like lurid casting couch right. story, but yes, it's true that, you know, when you are directing, you form very you fall in love with Jen? Well, it's funny. Yes, I, I bet you I, did. No, I, I feel like I fall in love with with almost every actor in some way or or, or, or me another. Knows. But, <laughs> but you the most. You the most. You're the only one I want to No, know. but there's something about that relationship when you're being creative and you're directing yes. it, especially if you wrote it and they're bringing it to life and then you're editing it and you're watching their every... I've done that. Also, and I've just done it with a short film, you know? Like, well, you're... And you're, you know, for months before you begin shooting, you're... 
imagining them. Yeah. Then you're watching them for 12 hours a day yeah. doing it. And then you're in the editing room watching them for 12 hours yeah. a day. So it's like almost how can you not? Now, I want to – the name merger. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, your idea together. And how did you decide how to merge it? Because um, – well, the, the merge name is Barnes. Yes, but it's part of both of your names. Yes, which are originally my last name was Schwartz. Schwartz and his was Bernstein. Okay, so you came up with. And we Barnes. decided we don't like hyphenated names, right? So we took um, when we Scrabble adopted letters. Kids, we when decided. we when we adopted the kids, until we had kids, we didn't do anything. But when after we had kids, we didn't like want a hyphenated name, so we took Scrabble letters and took all the the letters from all the names. Yes, and yeah. Both of our names, yeah. and then we sort of whittled them down to Barnes. So you were sort of like the original Benefer. You were before any of that yeah, stuff no, totally. was happening. Yeah, You really started there that. There were some show. actually hilarious yeah. other possibilities. Which we will not get into. What, what, I don't know. No, was there any that are, you don't... How profane can we go? go you, this is full on totally profane. <laughs> wet Snatch was the other <laughs> one that you can put together. You could have been Wet Sports. Snatch? No, yeah. we could have been Mr. and Mr. Yeah. Wet Snatch. <laughs> that, 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 that might be the title of this podcast. Yeah. And because <laughs> I like to pull a... Quote and and that would have been good for our kids, too. For sure. They um, would have been big yeah, hits on the playground. A lot of attention there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, so we, we, we did Barnes, and then then we've had this thing, you know, not, not because we work together. Yeah. That, uh, and so we, our names appear on call sheets together. And so yeah. people, uh, uh, you know, kept assuming that we were brothers. Right. So that's why we named our production company We're Not Brothers Productions. Nice. I like that. And then you have to get the font. <laughs> and the the, um, the moving the title logo, yes. like that's a whole thing. Yeah, no, oh my god, it was a whole. Was thing. it a whole thing? Oh, it was a. It was fantastic. Yeah. What what is, what is your what is the thing that comes up at the beginning of the movie like? It's we sort of drew from kind of like Magritte um, uh, kind of surreal imagery that you know the famous kind of like derby guy yeah. thing. Uh, it's, is it, it's Magritte, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not like yes, yes. making it. Okay. And, and then, and so there are two of them on screen and then they, and there's this, and then they kind of turn and look at each other and they turn back and there's clouds. And it was sort of about kind of how, you know, there's like a, a, a level and then there's other levels. And, and that was sort of like the Barnes idea that we're, you know, we're not brothers. And anyway, I love it. Now, when producer Ben has a producing issue that's a pain in the ass to director Daniel. Mm-hmm. How does that play out? Do you ever come to him and say, we don't have enough money to do that thing that you want to do, or da-da-da-da-da? We bitch slap each other until somebody <laughs> wins. No, um, we uh, we don't. We work so well together. Yeah, I, honestly, and it sounds like I just have to say it because we're like uh, on air, but we truly work well together. And for me, it is such a gift to have uh, Ben as a producer, because what Ben can do, which really nobody else can do, is is be completely honest and candid with me. Right? He can say that's you know you're, you're, you're that's not good that or whatever whatever it is, but he also one hundred percent has my back. Right. So what I know is if we disagree about something. Ultimately, if I say, you know what, this is the way I have to do it, I know that he will go and make sure that that happens. And that's such a rare combination to have in a producer. Right. So When you go in to meet about things and you're in a couple, mm-hmm. is it, does it ever uh, make people respond differently than if you were just, you know, like, like Jen has her producing partner who's, it's a professional relationship. Do, do people ever have baggage around it or, or do, do they... Does it make him like you more? Or, I don't know. I think it makes him like us more. Yeah. 
I just think two people are always nicer to deal with sometimes because yeah. we can always play good cop, bad cop too. Who, do you switch back and forth or is one of you pretty much good cop? I think we switch back and forth. But what I have noticed is that Ben is like the more immediately appealing person. People tend to like him the most initially. Then, and then they realize that I'm not as nice as Dan. <laughs> Later on, they might Then they realize they got it all wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, would you guys have the same taste in movies when you go to see things? Yes. Or? Yes. Yeah. Have, what's, have we had a I big like disagreement you, about something? No. Some, I feel like something we saw recently. There was something like, recently that I liked more than you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you both love well, to go to For the, the most part, we, we yeah. much agree. Yeah. yeah. Actor-wise. Boringly too. so. Yeah. yeah. Now, you talked about having an oral fixation when you're directing. <laughs> what are your other quirky things that you like? When you do your thing as a director. Wait, can I just say one thing? Yes. I have to go back up because my children have homework that they have. Okay, I love it. What if, so what I have to go of... produce homework tonight, Okay, you have to produce homework. But I just homework. wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything else that I should Let me see if I have anything I... else for, for you two. Do you, do you ever feel like a power couple? We are a power couple. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what do you mean? No, I didn't know. No. Has it been fun to have somebody to share the journey with? The thing is, this is what people say, like, oh, God, don't you want to just be able to turn it off? And the answer is no. You know, that's the thing that's so amazing it's about good. making movies. It's yeah. like I and, – and, and it's been harder, frankly, when I've been directing something that Ben has not been involved in. The, the, the gift of having somebody who is as in it as you – is, you know, incredible. And sometimes we can say to each other, you know what, we, for tonight we've got to just not talk about it. Or, you know, we've yeah. got to, like, move on to something else. We also do have two children. Yeah. So there is other life that we deal with, which they balances keep you around it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine. Which is a blessing. I imagine. Yeah. What do you guys both love about the business or making movies? Or what you do? I... I love the most the camaraderie and working it with bunches of different people... And the creating of it. Right. Being part of the, the team. The post of it. Not the post, like the editing. That yeah. I love as well. The what happens once it's released into the world is less interesting to, to me personally. Because right. I think that's out of your control and that's all. But the making of it and the day-to-day being on set and working with people is really exciting to yeah. me. Personally. And the putting together the, the Packaging. cast and yeah. the, the thing. Like, you love that. Love it. Yeah. Love it. What's something that he did as a producer that was like, he put out a major fire, or he, I can't believe you charmed that woman into let us shooting her, her thing, or... Like, do you know what I mean? I'm the, the last little project <laughs> I made, I had one guy that could go into any... He could get from getting a leaf blower shut off to whatever. He was like, "We'll send him. He can. He can do all that stuff." Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there was, you know, there was one. We, we were working on the movie, and there was there was one shot that I was desperate to get, and it was the end of the day, and 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 our actor had to go, and and Ben and 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 Ben went, and and basically. Um, just begged and and then and and the actor stayed and we got the shot and and that was uh that was a pretty amazing moment and it's in the movie and, and, and it's it, in the it's movie what you it's needed. a beautiful shot mm-hmm. i love it and you went you, how what was your technique literally begging or charm <laughs> cookies <laughs> Dude, i'm gonna answer this for ben because ben is so direct like that's the thing that's amazing about ben and yeah. makes him such an unusual producer right that he just is i don't think begging is the right word i think you're just very direct and i think you don't you know like there's no there's no there's like no bullshit factor so and people respond to that you know like people get really kind of impressed and like a little turned on by it frankly because yeah. there's so much bullshitty dishonesty. I'm not good at bullshit and I'm not good at kowtowing to 
wins. There you go. So there you go. It's good. To, it's a good talent to have. Well, go produce your homework. Thank you so Bye. much. It was lovely Sorry. talking okay. to you. Bye. All right, Daniel, you picked a few questions from the observation deck before we started. Um, let's start with this one. What's a voicemail that was left for you that you played more than once? Okay. So my very first job when I was working, uh, I, I had come out of film school. I was working as an assistant to a television producer and trying to pursue my own writing career. And I, my very first job in Hollywood was writing the American adaptation of a French film called Diva. Oh, God. For Diana Ross. Oh, my God. And it was such a crazy, surreal experience. And I literally, like, said to my boss, you know, like, I I have to quit now because I'm going on a plane tomorrow to go to New York to pitch to Diana Ross, which I did. Your boss at the time, what kind of job was it? He was a television writer. Okay. Actually, Henry Bromel. Oh, so you were writer. working with him. I was working for him. As, I was his like assistant. An assistant. And okay. then I was like, Henry, I gotta go. I'm gonna, Sorry, I gotta, I gotta go. So then, and then like, I went and pitched Diana, pitched Diana Ross with her, like, four giant war halls of her, like, around her, which was kind of amazing and surreal. But uh, after, as, while we were working on the thing, at, at a certain point, the, 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 the studio wasn't going to make the movie, and she called and left a, vo- uh, a voicemail. Hi, Daniel, it's Diana. And I was like, that is crazy surreal. I saved that message forever. Do you still have it? I recorded it and probably have it in a closet somewhere. somewhere. Sure, of course. It was that breathy Diana Ross That thing. breathy, Did you dig her? Oh, I totally dug her. That's awesome. And it was it was just also so surreal because I was so new to it. Yeah. And, you know, we would have meetings in her, like, you know, Malibu Beach out home. And, you know, there would be, like, history of the yeah. crazy things that happened. So. What movie have you seen more than any other? Searching for Bobby Fischer. Really? Yeah. The chess movie. Did the chess movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the most, Steve Dalian, like, just, I think, one of the most beautifully written, crafted, moving yeah. films. I can't get enough of it. Um, now, you went to USC Film School. Yes. Who do you remember coming to talk that really blew your mind? Because don't people come in and, and sort of talk to you guys and, and... Yeah, no, we didn't have a tremendous amount of guest speakers. I had a great teacher named Nina Menkes, who was an yeah. exper- uh, a very experimental filmmaker. She was, she was, like, inspirational just because she was sort of, like, kind of really gruff and tough and, like, do-your-own-thing sort of thing. So, yeah. and, and, and her lessons have stuck with me. I love that. How did you learn the facts of life? Oh, so my father, father, I was way too old, as most kids are, yeah. and my father said, I didn't know it was going to be a fact, he, he said, we're going to go on a, on a, on a, on a two-night canoe trip. <laughs> and I was Boy. like, oh, oh my God. God. And then we're yeah. sitting in the canoe, and I'm in the front, and yeah. he's behind, you know, thing, and all of a sudden he said, so... And I like literally when the word so came out, I was like, oh God, it's going to be that talk. Yeah. And, uh, and what are you going to do? You're stuck in a canoe for three days. So then that was the talk. And he, and did you, what did you, did you just let him do it all? Or did you say, I got it? I let him do it all. And then, uh, and I just was sort of like frozen and couldn't ask any questions and was mortified and wanted to die. Wow, I love that. Well, did you come out much later to him? Like, yeah, because I would think that was probably, I was like, what, like 13 yeah, at the time? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't really come out officially, officially until I was in college. Yeah. Um, if you were going to be in an infomercial, what would the product be? I, I think I have. Okay, I was going to say this for the last thing. It's kind of the elephant in the room because yeah. you have a rolling, de- uh, a treadmill desk. Yes. Okay, and I'm going to try it before we leave here, okay. even though I don't have the right shoes. So, how long have you had it, and is it everything you wanted it to be? Uh, I've had it for a year and a half. It okay. is everything that I wanted it to be, and more. It is so 
It, it's great. I mean, I was skeptical because I, you know, um, you know, you're, you're walking continuously. And I yeah. Just, and I thought, well, if I'm on the phone or doing emails, like, I get it. You know, I can get how you can do That's that. That's what I'm thinking right now. I don't yeah. think I could be creative and write on it. That's what was the revelation for me was. Wow. Is that I can write my scripts on this. And... And it's such a gift. So, it, you know, first of all, there's like all these ills of sitting, you know, like that's the big thing is that sitting is now like takes years off of your life. And then in addition, it, you know, it improves your concentration and your focus and, and, and does, does all these good, these good things. Uh, and also it weirdly takes away, like, I'm, I find that I'm not spacing out as much. Like I find like I really am sort of like um, more focused on it. But the thing that's so great about it is, you know, I walk, you walk really slowly. So I walk like 2.3 miles an hour, right? right? And, and so, but, you know, no matter how badly your writing is going, at the end of just over two hours, you've walked almost five miles. Wow. You know, at the end of three hours, you've walked seven miles. And that's not, not a long time while you're writing. So no matter how the writing goes, you have this like sense of triumph. Like I, I walked a bit. And it doesn't feel like you've done that. No, I mean, your feet hurt, you know, yeah. by the end of the day, but it's... Uh, so you you pretty much write only this, you know? I do, yeah. Wow. In fact, I, well, now I'm also, like, neurotic and obsessive, so now I feel guilty when I come off of the writing right. desk and sit down in the chair, like but sometimes person. I have to because yeah. you just get tired. I love it. So before I leave, I want to try the writing desk. Okay. Um, what's the worst job you ever had? Selling linoleum. Yeah. Um, which is what I did while I was in grad school. Yeah. I went to do like a temp bookkeeper job and and then because I was there and they liked me, sort of promoted me into the guy who sells linoleum and I just was so terrible at it. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. It would come in, does this linoleum dent easily? No, no, it's really good. Anyway, that was really Is it cool. weird now when you see linoleum? Like, I don't want linoleums in my house. <laughs> I don't want... I, I um... E- yeah, and I don't really have a strong feeling about yeah. linoleum one way or another. What does your family think of your success? I think that my family is proud of me. I, I know that, you know, definitely my siblings sort of, you know, they're like excited by it. And and my parents are enormously proud too. But I think it was a journey. And, and, and the reason I picked this question, because it was so ironic to me. You know, I had my background was in theater. It's what I'd done in kind of college, and then I, I sort of quickly thereafter got into this film route. And I think there was a part of my parents that always wanted me to remain in theater, and I just thought that was hilarious because because there's you know Hollywood's tough, but there's yes. some money there sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Whereas like theater, you know, not at all. Yeah. But uh, so I think for a while there was sort of a like a, you know why didn't you come back and 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 try to direct some off 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 Broadway kind of a thing and and. and and I just thought that was so hilarious and kind of wonderful, by the way. Also, yeah. Like, it's kind of great Why? that your parents They, they, they would just like, like the art. They stuff. love theater. And they yeah. had seen a lot of things that I directed, right. you know, in college. And the proud parents, they were. Yeah. They just loved that thing. Who were your teen crushes? And before you answer, mm-hmm. I have a little story to share with you. I just am redoing my bedroom, mm-hmm. freshening it up for the new year after a long time. And I bought some used lockers. Like, three lockers from, really? a, from an old off-supply store. And I posted on Facebook that I was going to put pictures of teen idols in there uh, to go in my lockers and if people wanted to share pictures. So I got like a million pictures of everyone's favorite teen idols and some really random things like Abe Vigoda. 
So whoever you say, I might have to find a picture of and put them in my locker. Okay, well, the first one was Jennifer Beale's Flashdance. I mean, that was like, and the -the off-the-shoulder sweatshirt thing. I had her all over my wall. But there was also the Duran Duran posters. And I think that really probably the crush part of me was very focused on the Duran Duran part of me. John Taylor or Simon LeBond? Simon LeBond. Really? That's good. You didn't go for the model type. You went for the lead singer guy. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. What's your favorite Duran Duran song? I'm partial to Save a Prayer. Rio? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Planet Earth. I love Planet Earth. That's a more obscure one. Yeah. I might have to check that out. Yeah, that's a really good one. I saw the 30th anniversary screening of Flashdance at the Arrow last year. Get out. Was it so enjoyable? Check it out. Beals was there. Adrian Lyne was there. Uh, Michael Nouri was there. Richie was there. (laughs) Like, and Beals was super funny about it because you kind of got the feeling that she'd kind of distance herself a little from, like it was a lot mm-hmm. to deal with at that time, but she'd come around and she talked about, um, of course I got a question and I'm the biggest Q and a whore. And I asked them all what their favorite memory of shooting it was. And it was, you know, she told amazing stories about how like, you know, she slept in a park before her audition. Cause she didn't have any money and they sent her there and they kept postponing the audition. And, and it was so clear how much she and Adrian line loved each other. Mm. And that oh, was really nice. neat. Yeah, so I'm on board with the deals. Uh, have you ever written a fan letter? Well, I write fan letters to actually all well, so, like the like the Christmas exactly Christmas like story. in Christmasina. I had done one to Jen as well. Is it an email or is it a printed letter? They're, they are printed letters that I sign and then scan and then send in kind of an email. So they're like fan letters, but they're not really. I mean, they're sort of like you know. I just think it's so important when you approach somebody that you like they they understand that you really understand who they are as an actor right. and why they are so right for this kind of a role and as what opposed to I heard we could get money if we got you like exactly you really or your name to... was on the list yeah yeah, yeah yeah no his thing so I I those, so those are sort of the the quote unquote fan letters yeah that's nice and I think there's one more that you picked. Uh, describe your most unfortunate haircut. By the way, I feel like this is like a Rorschach test. Like, like, like the questions that you pick actually say an enormous about. Like, enormous what do you think? Of, what do you think they're saying about you? I, I don't know. I, I, I shudder. I, that would be much longer therapy. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> involve it, but I picked okay. one about my bear. Yeah. Uh, I my so my really really unfortunate haircut was in the eighties, and I have sort of you know curly brown hair, and so there was a big thing where um, there was like an asymmetrical kind of curly hair thing, where it was sort of shorter on one side, but then kind of like permed and out on the right. side. And and I remember, like, I went to the really, you know, uh, like, stylish salon that my friend recommended and had them cut this haircut, which just makes me want to cringe and die. When was I it cool it. at the time, or did you know right at the time? It that... was pretty bad, even right at right. the time. And also, it was, un- you know, there weren't a lot of guys getting these sort right. of asymmetrical perm. Yeah, it was like sort of things. new wave. So, yeah, yeah. it was, uh, yeah. I, I love that. We don't, ta- we don't keep so many, too many okay. pictures of them around. What's next for you? I'm working on two television shows that I'm writing, actually, two, That's uh, nice. two television pilots, which I'm so excited about because, you know, it's like the golden age of television and there's yeah. such incredible opportunities. So uh, one of them is for MTV and one of them is for Showtime. One's wonderful. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. And you're working with Patrick again on something, I And understand. Patrick is writing another screenplay for, for us two, for Ben and, 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 and I did. I love it. So. Um, I, ben, I think Ben answered when we asked earlier what you love about what you do, but I don't think you answered. 
Man, it's so interesting because I, uh, I, I feel like I should be more articulate about this because the the truth of the matter is is I find at so many points during the process, you know, the creative retreat, the prep thing, on set, in the edit room, that I really have these sort of out of body moments where I just think, my God, isn't Incredible that somebody pays me to do this thing, which I love doing so much. And were it not for the need to like support a family, would absolutely do for free. So I feel like I should have a better answer for why it is that I I get such joy out of it. Um, but I'm not sure that I have a really good answer for it. Except there's something about the the there is something about the community of people that comes together and the like that really primal need to tell stories and like create art and like whatever that thing was that made people like draw things on like a cave like a hundred gazillion years ago there's just something about it i think that's so in our essence and so the ability to be a part of of a, 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 a of a kind of a, of a of an industry that allows you to tell stories. I just I just I love it so much. I I, I I'm scared of how much I love it so much because I don't ever want it to end. Was there a point where you almost wanted to give up? Well, that was the point where I was thought yeah. I'm going to go to Africa yeah. and things. And I do, you know, like I do have that very neurotic thing of like, well, what would happen if, you know, if I never get another chance and, you know, would I, like, what would I do and would I go teach or work at Starbucks or, you know, what, what I think that's, but I've actually come to um, be sort of appreciative of that neurosis because I think it's very motivating. Yeah. And and I sort of now try to look at some of these things that I do that are a bit silly or or where sort of fear takes over and, and, and try to be grateful for them because I think they just push you to try to be better. Yeah. One of the um, – there's an entrepreneur that I follow his blog and – he was the guy that started CD Baby. Do you know that? It was a, a place that sold independent uh, musicians' CDs. Uh-huh. It was the first place that kind of sold them. Mm-hmm. And it, he sold the company for a bunch of money, and like millions later. And he just has interesting entrepreneurial things. And he, he wrote a blog post, and I'm blanking on his name, but he talked about going through a divorce and all of this horrible stuff. And somewhere in the middle of it, he asked himself, what's great about this? Mm-hmm. And that's not something you ask yourself when things are going bad. You don't use the word great. And I've, I've really, it's really stayed with me. Yeah. And like, you know, when you're in the middle of something awful, if you can find something great about it, that's really interesting to me. Well, it's funny because I have a friend who talks about how she, you know, like sometimes when she's in like fender benders. Yeah. You know, because those are like the most irritating thing where they make you feel so shitty about yourself. And she said, I've come to feel grateful for those because a it reminds me like something so much worse could have happened but they just sort of remind me to stay a little bit more kind of focused and and i have loved that analogy because or i have loved that idea because it's and i think about it as an analogy all the time in, in in my work and personal life when little things go wrong or things make you feel bad I try to look at them as like a reminder to stay focused on 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 something else on something else um, last question. What do you hope people get out of cake? Okay. So, oh, I forgot to ask you about Anna Kendrick too. Uh, Second to last question. Did she sing? 
On set? Yeah. Uh, or tweet? She's good at both. She tweeted, yes. She definitely tweeted. She's like super tweeter. She And she's so witty. And yeah. Like, like, she's so good at it. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I had like a brief period where I had a Twitter account. Then I, I closed it because I just, it was too, I just like got, it was too nerve wracking. I couldn't, I, like, yes. I can't, I can't, like, I not get that witty. And she's so great at it. Uh, she did not sing. She was delightful. You know, she's and and she gets to do all these things in the in the, in the movie. You know, she like floats in the. Uh, you know, she's like drowning Jen in in the pool. She's stepping out on windowsills, and she just like embraced all of it. She's so game. I, I just I, I loved loved her for that. Um, and then the other question: What do you hope people get out of cake? Oh, the thing with cake is, you know. I feel like it is a movie about somebody who feels stuck in their life and is journeying to try to unstick herself. And I feel like that's something that we all experience. Like, I think we all go through periods in our life where we feel stuck or we feel like we have these demons that kind of hold us back and we're looking for a way to kind of move past that. So for me, that was always the sort of much more kind of universal message in Patrick's script that I hoped people would take away. And, 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 and I'm grateful for like, cause I know that it has been meaningful for people in the chronic pain community. And I know it's been um, meaningful for people who have grappled with suicide And I sort of want it to be meaningful for them. And then like a whole host of other people who have just felt stuck. Those are the, like the stories that I love in movies. So I was um, just so pumped to be able to make a movie about that. I love that. I always do this thing where I say last question and then I think three more. (laughs) Has being gay ever been a factor in your career? Has it ever, do you ever felt like somebody, oh, if if they, that it worked against you or for you or is it, is it a thing at all? I have, luckily, no, I have not felt like it's, uh, you know, uh, a, a, an issue. I remember once when I was working on, on Beastly and there was, somebody said to me, well, I'm, you know, she, she said, I don't feel this way, but I'm worried that, that, you know, this person at the studio m- might think that you couldn't, you know, pull off a straight love story. And I was so taken aback by it. And, and, and by the way, I don't think it was actually true at all. Like, I think she was, you know, she was voicing a sort of like, you know, unfounded anxiety. Uh, but I was so taken aback about it, by it because I don't, I, I would like had not thought of myself in that way at all. It's sort of like, a, you know, uh, and, and I've never felt like um, there's something that I couldn't do. In fact, as I was sort of saying earlier, I think the experience of being gay and feeling like an outsider is something that create has created some uh, empathy in me. And it's that empathy that allows me to step into other people's lives and, and think about how to tell those kinds of stories. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad about the gay thing. I'm, I love it. <laughs> I'm glad about the gay thing too. Okay, we're going to keep this rolling and I'm okay. going to try okay, your guess. All right. Okay, so... This, I feel like, you know, Bar- I didn't touch my water, by the way. I hope you don't think I was rude. No. This reminds me of, like, when Barbara's, um, Walters would dance with Patrick Swayze and shit when they would do interviews. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm turning it First off. of all, look at that sunset. The sunset is amazing. It's amaz. amazing. Yeah. Holy shit. So I've mounted the apparatus. 
It's on. It's on. Okay. And then you can enter your weight or you can leave it. It says 138 is the weight? Yes. Um, you can go up or down or just leave it. However I'll just leave it. It doesn't okay. matter, right? It doesn't really matter. Okay. okay. And then you're going to hit start. Okay. It's going to count down. Oh, start is the green one. Okay. okay. It's going to count down. Three, two, one. And then it's going to move really slowly. Okay. Really slowly, okay? Yeah. So now that, what I have found is that that's how, it's, it, it's hard actually to move that slowly. Yeah. Um, so I, you, you see the, the, yeah, the, I can the, go the, up. You go up. I go like, try, go, try to go like around two miles an hour. So right now it's 0. 0.5. 22. So there you go. So you're like, this is kind of what you're doing. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Type, 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 type. Do you find that like you adjust your speed if it's an action scene or if you, uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm in a car chase, I'm going to take it up or have uh, you ever played with that? No, yes. but I know sometimes it's not going well when I find myself like leaning on that, that, that foam edge. So you'll hear like, oh my God, okay, it's not going well there. Like I'm kind of down there. That's so interesting. What made you... Get this. Like, okay, did so you see somebody else do it? I had read this article that Susan Orlean had written. That was she's the uh, adaptation, flower. exactly. Orchid, orchid, yeah. yeah. Anyway, and so she had written about this thing and how it was amazing for your energy, your concentration, your focus. You know, additionally, it turns out that, like, sitting is now, like, takes years off of your life. Right. So, like, for all of these reasons, I was really curious. And I, but because I spend, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day writing when yeah. I'm, like, fully in it, I actually had to go to a friend's house who had one and, and sort of give it a shot. Yeah, because it's a big investment to make it. It's a big investment. If you, you don't see, end up it's, like, it. kind of big in the, you know, yeah. in, in the room and stuff. And you don't want it to be the solo flex machine that I you use you know, and then there are those days where you, like, you feel like, you, I don't have to choose between exercise and work, because I can do yeah. it all. And then there are those days where you're like, wait a second, I'm going to get my lunch and bring it down. I'm going to eat, walk, and write at the same time, like, I am the god of multitasking. Wow. And take calls. <laughs> and take I mean, calls. people are like, are you on the treadmill? Well, so that's the thing. I, because, you know, a lot of agents have them. Yeah. You know, and so, and in fact, my agent has one. Okay. I've never heard it before. But you've never noticed on a phone call. I've never heard that thing. But, uh, but then, when we're on conference calls, we'll sometimes, like, you've got to get off the desk. It's too loud. It's such an annoying noise. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes I warn people, like, I'm on a walking desk because I'll sound a little bit out of breath, and I yeah. don't want them to... You don't want, to, you don't want them to think you're exasperated. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm ready for my dismount. Okay, can so I you just you can stop, pause. Stop, pause. Okay. And it'll slow down. And I'm going to jump off this way, and I'm going to stick the landing. I think I got it. Bam! All right, that was cool. There you go. I'm intrigued. Thanks again to Daniel and Ben Barnes. Check out Cake this weekend. And before I let you go, uh, so this happened. As you know, I like a good screening with a Q&A. So I went to the American Sniper screening at the Writers Guild with the screenwriter Jason Hall. And uh, for a while, Steven Spielberg was attached to direct American Sniper. Well, Jason ended up telling this story about when he first met Steven Spielberg back in his struggling actor days. He had gone on a couple of dates with Steven Spielberg's daughter. And for, like, their second date, they were going to a concert. I think it was a Sarah McLaughlin concert. And he was so broke, he had $12 in his pocket. That's it, to his name. So they go to the event, and the daughter, I don't, I don't think he said her name, 
says, oh, you know, my parents are going to be there and Tom and Rita too. So he's like, okay, it's going to be Steven Spielberg, Kate Capshaw, and Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. And we're all going to be watching this concert. Okay. (laughs) So he goes in there and $6 for parking already. So he's out $6. Now he's down to $6. And at one point during the concert, he's like, uh, I'm going to go get a hot dog. And he didn't want to be rude. So he kind of is like, did anybody want anything? No. Okay. I'm out. Like he tried to offer, but wasn't like, you know, really try- hoping no one would take him up on it because he had no money, but he didn't want to be rude. So he's like, can I get anyone anything? And he kind of threw it away, hoping no one would bite. And Spielberg goes, um, yeah, I think I'd like a hot dog. And, uh, and then he goes, Tom, would you, do, do you want a hot dog? And, and Tom Hanks is like, yeah, hot dog sounds great. So now he's broke and he's supposed to buy Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks a hot dog. So he goes to the concession stand and the hot dogs are $3 each. So he buys both of those guys, both of those gazillionaires, hot dogs with his last $6. And crisis was averted, but he did probably go home hungry. But I love that story because it just shows you how people can... uh, go from one place to another over a few years. So anyway, that was fun. Um, That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Check out DennisAnyone.net, and we will see you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye!